Plum looks for Asia. Asia is going to fire again on top of the key. Count that bucket for Asia Wilson. She's showing she can do it inside and outside. Asia was 16. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. The WNBA draft is this week. They also released their schedule. Uh, Bill Ambeer is set to join us in just a couple of minutes. The head coach of the Las Vegas Aces. They will open the season May 15th in Seattle. The first two games are in Seattle this year for the Las Vegas Aces. They got to win a title, right, Ed? We, they they got to stop. They got to actually pull one out now, right? Uh-oh. Ed's muted. Jared's trying to get Bill Lambeer on the phone. I am here by myself. They're on the same, uh, hello, <laughs> they're on the same trajectory as uh, as the Golden Knights, right? Tyler Bust. Yeah, I think that's what right. it is. All right. Joining us now is the head coach of Las Vegas Aces, Bill Lambeer. Bill, how are you this morning? Hey, Bill. Oh, I'm tired. I flew all day yesterday, and I'm still not up to speed yet. Uh, who did you uh, piss off with the WNBA office to get Seattle for your first two games of the season? Well, I think the first game of the season, they haven't come out with uh, quite how it's going to work out. But my guess is number one and number two team from last year will be a national television game. I get that part. Um, and then, you know, they're trying to, trying to play multiple games in marketplace, uh, you know, so without having to travel so much. So it's a natural just to play back-to-back. Yeah, it hasn't, I mean, obviously COVID and, and not traveling, but we were talking about this early, earlier in the show. All your years in the NBA and now what is going to happen to WNBA, can you see this becoming maybe a thing of norm where uh, even after COVID's gone that they'll just keep teams and back-to-backs in cities? And what would you think about that if they did that to kind of cut down on travel? I hope not um, because, you know, it, it, a sprained ankle at the wrong time, you're missing two games against a very intense conference opponent or – a championship opponent. So you kind of want to spread them out. Still luck of the draw, whether injuries play, what injuries play. But if you actually have to play, you know, both games, then you're, say, your home market, and you have a significant injury in that period of time, you'll never get those games back. Is I, I'm curious, on WNBA scheduling, is that something, like, you have an input on? Like, do they listen to coaches, or is that just something they sort of do on their own, regardless of what the rest of the league thinks? Well, this, it, it comes out, they come out with the first draft of the schedule that each of the teams from the, the business people get more involved on the front end. Um, then it, they, they say, no, we don't like that, we don't like this, and you send it in, then round two comes out, uh, and then the basketball people get involved and say, no, we don't like that back-to-back, and no, I don't like to play four of the last five games on the road. And then they come out with uh, a last version which seems, you know, nobody's happy. for Not everybody's happy about everything. <laughs> but at least there's some input. But, you know, uh, it's more input from the business end and from a logistics end than it is from a competitive end. Uh, we talked about it earlier in this month uh, when I asked you about Mark Davis. And the interesting thing I thought, and you can kind of expound on it, is one of the first things he said to you was, okay, I want to learn. He's been in football his whole life. Now he comes into a new league, and he's been – yeah, you know, maybe your best fan for women's basketball and watching it, but how is that going? And and what did you think about when an owner comes and says, "Okay, I want to be educated. I'm going to sit back and you know you're going to kind of take me through this." Well, that's always a positive. You know, when you have somebody that you know, uh, independent ownership uh, is you know they're their own people. They have their own money. It's their money, and it's quite different than MGM. 
so, you know, they're obviously going to want input. Um, some players, some owners come in and think their way or the highway is the way to go. Uh, Mark's not that way in, in some in some ways he is. On the business side, he's very intense and very into, you know, understanding because uh, it is his marketplace and he wants to have his thumbprint. But in the basketball end, uh, he understands that, just like he did in football, that there are people who do this for a living uh, and that he's going to learn about the basketball. And the business end is, is easy for him because he watches it every day. Uh, this is a whole new sport and a whole different clientele uh, of basketball, of, of players, and that's what he really wants to learn about. How did you find out first that Mark Davis was considering or that he was going to buy the team? Well, I knew he was considering it way back when. You know, I was plugged into Bill Hornbuckle and to George Kleekoff. Uh They've been my bosses. And uh, they brought it up immediately that, okay, hey, the, pl- the plan all along was to sell, when we first got here with MGM, the plan all along was to sell a piece or a uh, majority piece to somebody else in this marketplace. Uh, so it didn't come as a surprise. I knew that when I took the job at the very start. Uh, just a matter of what the timetable was. I do believe the timetable got accelerated by the the, the pandemic. Uh, but, however, it still was going to happen one way or the other. It's a matter of who were the partners or who took over the whole franchise. I don't know if you've had this conversation. Maybe you have, but we compared you before you came on with the Golden Knights, where their mantra this year is it's a cup or it wasn't a successful season. They're good enough. They built this roster what is your message to your team? Because obviously they're among the favorites. Is that your message as well, that now is the time that a title should be won? Well, I think, you know, my philosophy always has been you can't win the championship unless you're in the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's about the players. Um, so our task as coaches and as a franchise is to do everything we can to get this team into the finals. And then it's a matter of do you have injuries and and. And, you know, and see how you eyeball each other and it becomes a test of wills. Uh, I think anytime you make the finals, it's a successful season. Uh, whether you win the championship or not, you know, a lot of things could happen. Last year, we had a significant injury to one of our players. And I don't think we would have won it anyways, but we would have had a better competitive showing. Uh, so I think uh, always, my goal always as a player and as a coach is to get to the finals because you can't win unless you're there. Uh, Bill, you guys added Chelsea Gray in the offseason. So how much different or how much of a difference is she going to make playing point guard for you guys now? Well, I don't have a point guard. I have a lead guard. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you don't know until you actually throw the ball up and start playing. Uh, I know what she's capable of doing. She's capable of leadership. She's capable. The best thing about her is you know, I know she's going to hit some big shots. Um, she wants the ball in her hands uh, and can create for others also. Uh, she's going to have to, you know, understand how to play with Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage, uh, you know, dominating the inside. But I think overall, um, her experience factor, she's won a championship. Her experience factor, she's a big guard, can post up. She can add more um, presence in her offensive game from that position. Uh, and then it, it pushes people down, too. You know, it, it makes, you know. Everybody, she takes up a vast majority of the league garments and pushes people down like a Jackie and a Plum or to get more opportunities. So it creates opportunities for others, which is also a positive. Uh, but I think overall, I think her just her steadiness and her overall presence on the basketball court will be a giant positive for us. Uh, draft Thursday. Uh, when you draft, I mean, I, in the past you've had first, you know, one overall picks. I think you're 12th this year in the first round. So 
at that spot, I mean, what's your philosophy usually that you would go in and say, I have to have this position? Or at 12, would you say, let's take the best player available because you are so deep and you have so much talent to begin with? Well, the best player plus player best player available is open for debate on each how you define it. Uh, I think across the board we're pretty solid at all positions, but then you have to look forward um, from a salary cap perspective. We're going to everybody has to lose players in this league over the course of time because of the salary cap. So you're trying to project in two years from now. Number twelve pick in the draft is not going to come in like the world on fire for us. It ain't going to happen. Nobody in this draft is going to come in like the fire on for anybody let alone number 12 in the depth that we have. Uh, I think, over, you know, from that, we're just looking for somebody to come in and develop for the next two years, three years. So when we do end up losing a player here or there to free agency or retirement, that we have somebody in the pipeline already with a small contract that's able to step in. And it learned our system, and we've worked with them individually and improved their game, hopefully, that by when, time, when their time comes, that they are ready to step into those shoes. I think that's our philosophy about this draft and probably about the next draft or two going forward, barring trades, uh, that we're going to be looking for players that are going to be two years out and three years out and develop them into the team player and into our system and our culture. So on the idea that, you know, the 12th best player in this draft is somebody that you well, guys are I, I'm sorry, to I'm going to go back and cut, I'm going to cut you up, but I'm going to go back and expand upon my answer a minute ago. Um, we're looking for the best basketball player. Uh, not necessarily the best basketball player at a certain position. Looking for the best basketball player who can come to practice every day and work hard and make and 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 eat, not playing. Uh, but at the same time, when you put them on the basketball court, they are a great teammate, uh, and that's what we look for in in drafting this deep in the draft. So. Uh... I'm curious on your big picture thoughts on the WNBA. You're talking about, you know, the 12th best player in this draft is somebody that might not get a lot of playing time in their first year. Is there a need for the WNBA to expand so that more players drafted have more opportunities to play right away? Well, that's always going to be the debate. Um, I'll go back to the bubble last year. Um, the a few players opted out. Maybe not many. Maybe it's eight to ten tops. Uh, opted out, or for various reasons, some have retired since. Um, looking around to fill those roster spots was very difficult. Uh, trying to find a player who can come in and make any kind of an impact or uh, belong in this league. So when you get down there to the 12th and 13th player, and then if you expand the 14th player, um, slim pickings. Uh, this is a top-heavy league, uh, and expansion will dilute it right now we're the top of our game so if they do expand just like any league um they're going to dilute a little bit i think in our league it'll be a bigger dilution than it would be in the men's side or in nhl hockey or in baseball or any of the well-established sports that are out there we're still growing and we're still trying to develop uh, more college players as time goes along well, he is Bill Lambeer, head coach of the Aces. Their season gets started in just about a month. Bill, we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, Bill. Not a problem. You got it, guys. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Take care. Yeah. So, They're going to be good, man. Yeah. They're going to be good. Yeah. They, I mean, listen, they get Chelsea Gray. They have four four all-stars in their starting lineup. Not mm-hmm. necessarily all-stars last year, but four players that right. have been all-stars in their starting lineup. The fifth starter is possibly Kelsey Plum, who was at one point the number one draft pick in the WNBA draft. They should be really good. Like, they, sh- they should be 
right there in the WNBA Finals uh, like they were last season. And maybe they can actually pull it off this year. We'll see. I'll get to yell the entire summer about not enough shooting because that's been the story of the Las Vegas Aces, but still fun. So coming up next, we will be joined by Sam and Ash. Call Sam at Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. Also, great followers on Twitter at Sam and Ash Law. Here we are. Best personally injured attorneys in town. They're Wednesday spot here in the press box. It's Sam and Ash. How are you guys? We're, We're doing great. great. <laughs> We're doing great. great. Doing great. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, good to be with we've you. We've got some... Re- We've got some really cool stories today that we've been waiting, and while it's not a cool story, uh, this is one of those weird things you know I get fascinated with. Uh, I'm going to start with former Kansas City Chiefs assistant Britt Reed. He's Andy Reed's son, uh, charged with felony driving while intoxicated. Now, we know there's a five-year-old girl critically injured. That's the real sad part in this in terms of a brain injury. He was charged. He was going supposedly 83 miles an hour, uh, blood alcohol of 1.113. So, obviously, the criminal side of this being charged and have to play out no matter what happens there i'm almost fascinated to know if whatever reason at some point there's a civil suit against him by the girl's family when you start naming people in a civil suit obviously he'd be named how much could they go at if if he consumed his alcohol at the facility but it was his own choice as an adult how much could they go after the kansas city chiefs well, that's a great question. And, you know, what they're going to look at is where was he coming from? Where was he headed? Um, if he did, in fact, mm-hmm. consume the alcohol at a work-related function and was actually, right. like, going back to the stadium to continue working, was he still technically in the course and scope of his employment at the time? And if that turns out to be true, then, yeah, they're going to definitely sue the Kansas City Chiefs, at least until the Kansas City Chiefs can prove that, you know, they don't have liability. I definitely see them getting brought in. There's no but, way they and, don't get brought but in. There's also an interesting thing here with with minors and children, their injuries, you know, they're given a longer timeline to file their lawsuits. They don't have to file until years, usually, depending on the state, years after they turn 18. And so here, this child, her injuries are constantly in flux. You don't know what the long-term lasting effects are, what her life care needs are going to be. So there's not really a rush here to file a lawsuit. So on that timeline, like what, what's the best way to go about filing that suit? Do you do it now or do you wait until you're out of, after you turn 18? Well, it's a matter of strategy. I think, you know, you, you want to, you want to file this, in my opinion, you want to file it now when everything is, is fresh information is available. People's memories haven't faded. Um, I, I think it's, it's, uh, obviously, it's nice to have the luxury of not having to rush, uh, uh, you know, a, a two-year deadline, which is the usual statute, or at least as the statute here in Nevada. Um, but here, you know, here, look, I, right now, the story has uh, intense media uh, interest. I think that that media interest can be leveraged to to get um, to motivate the team and other co-defendants in the civil suit to pay out and to get get rid of it. So, you know, I think, you know, I, I, again, I think this is a this is such a this is such a sad and preventable story um, that this this didn't need to happen. But but Ashley's 100 percent right. If there's a history of this guy drinking and drinking on the job and it functions and they knew that he had a problem and all of that, will, if that all comes to light, I, I think they have a hard time getting out of this. If 
a civil suit is brought and however much money it would be, maybe it's very substantial. I would guess there's a chance in that given her injuries. What is the usual uh, uh, thing that's happened with settlements? Do they accept it on behalf of the child or do, would it go into a fund for her uh, when she's older to whether it be medical bills and costs that's going to have to help her perhaps the rest of her life? Ed, you're coming in with all the great questions today. Well, um, it has nothing to do with driving. That's other, it has nothing to do with me driving. So. Even a blind squirrel is right twice a day. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. With larger settlements, minors and adults, you're able to put the, the settlement proceeds or the jury verdict award um, into what's called a structured settlement. And you can work with the family to figure out what's the best uh, setup that the child needs to help them. Um, function throughout the remainder of their life and, and maintain compensation and, you know, an allowance or do they need a college fund? It all depends, but these structured settlements are there to help make sure that settlement, large amounts of settlement awards, they don't just sit in a, a basic bank account. They continue to grow and they actually work very well for the minor. Yeah. And, you know, the number one thing here is you got to keep the money away from parents. You wouldn't, guys, you would not believe how many times I've had parents who literally want to steal their kids' money. And, I've, I, and so the, the purpose behind these locked accounts are to keep the money away from, uh, literally away from mom and dad uh, and, and, and in the hands of the, of the minor child. And I've got, I've got more stories than I have time for to share, but they're awful. Uh, a, sto a, a, a funner story. Uh, Usher <laughs> apparently went to a strip club and the way he tipped was not with real money, but instead with money that had his own face on it. Uh, is there anything that could actually happen to Usher legally here, or is he just going to look like an idiot for using his own face on money to tip at a strip club? Well, this happened here. This happened in Vegas, yeah. which is the best part of the story. So. Uh, but the answer is no. I mean, it really comes down to if if he was actually trying, if him and his team and his entourage were actually trying to pay or tip in this currency of his of his, his own being, and and if that was what he was trying to do, there was an actual intent to pay and use it and defraud the strip club. Sure, he would have gotten into a lot of trouble. But the the stories come out that you know what Usher did pay the strip club, paid all the dancers, he did everything right. It was one guy on his team left some promo. <laughs> dollars with usher's face on it now usher's turned into a meme i don't know i smell i smell a rat here now and i'll tell you why because <laughs> this thing blew up it was one of the it was one of the gals there that put it on twitter and there's this there's this really like it looks kind of real the currency other than the fact that it has a giant photo of usher on it and they're like 20 dollar bills and 100 dollar bills and setting aside the whole issue of of using money that looks a lot like actual money and that's a problem because the secret service does investigate that <laughs> um setting that whole thing aside for a sec the statement that came out from the local gentleman's establishment here in town seemed really like neat and clean to me it was very you know J usher came in he was a gentleman he you know he tipped everyone generously took care of everything uh, converted some of his funds into cash which is a funny way of saying <laughs> he took money out of an ATM. I don't know what, whatever it was. So he, it just seems, I don't know. Some he converted some, his usher bucks. Yeah. yeah. He, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And this, and the secret service is investigating. No, I don't know. I, well, who knows what the real story is, but it's just funny that it happened here and it's getting national news attention. Yeah.
kind of bummed. He wasn't Usher a, a judge at one time on The Voice. It's a good show. <laughs> he's, he, he, he didn't come on. You know, he comes off as a I, solid guy. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he's going to be a. He's going to be here at the uh, at Caesar's Palace. I think he's got a residency coming up. Well, that I, you was know, it's the good that he took care of, him in of the, the end. money. Oh, <laughs> the money was his promo. His like, oh my gosh, it all it all threw it flew over Sam's head. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm glad he took care of everyone we, in the end. I'm glad we that, need that some Rocky like bucks. <laughs> yes, yeah, ro- some Rocky isn't Rocky's bucks? face on uh, on currency at this point? It'll be the new That's Bitcoin, right. Dogecoin. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're gonna go to the strip club with Rocky bucks? <laughs> Seems wrong. Uh, well, Hydrant Club. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, this is this is interesting because he wanted a lot more money. So, so Joe West is a longtime uh, Major League Baseball umpire. Um, he was, in his mind, was defamed by Paul DeLuca, a former player, because of uh, comments DeLuca made about him. Uh, he was awarded five hundred thousand. He got two fifty for past mental anguish and two fifty to compensate expenses he'll need to incur retaining a public relations firm. West is saying these comments against me hurt my chances to get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, and it's maybe just kind of the pessimist in me and, the, you know, the sarcastic guy in me who says past myths, mental anguish and emotional distress. Um, how how easy is that to prove or disprove when you get to court where the guy's just saying, hey, these, these comments really hurt me, and he really can't prove whether it's going to cost him the Hall of Fame or not? Well, I mean, this is a case where there's there always is two issues when it comes to defamation, right? There's there's you know you've got to prove that the statement was 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 materially false, right? And then it, and that and then you've got to prove that you've got you have damages that resulted from it. So the first part of this case was interesting because I I from my understanding of the facts, um, the the statement this this you know allegation that he that he that that Joe West accepted. Uh, bribes in the form right. of rides in, in this guy's car, whatever. It, it was it could be proven false because they only played one game together, and and so the story was you know there was a way to there was a way to to, to actually disprove it. Okay, so so th- that was one issue. The other part of this is, I guess it was two hundred fifty thousand dollars for his anguish and then the other was two hundred fifty thousand dollars to clean the mess up with a with a pr firm and right. and kind of rehab his reputation now i i think in in sports if you've got it if you've got a, a an ump here you know you got a you've got a, a ref who is the allegation of of taking bribes to to modify the outcome of of a game i mean that's a serious allegation and it kind of goes to the, to the core of your of your job so you know, I, I don't think this is some kind of runaway amount. I, I think it's I think it seems to be to be fairly uh, fair. We'll see if uh, we'll see if Joe West collects on it. I think that's another issue here. We'll see. Uh, I don't know how much money this guy's got. I mean, he probably does have money to pay it, but he's got. There's different ways he could he could certainly fight to get out of it. So, interesting case. I'm curious on on that awarding of ultimately five hundred thousand dollars. How do they get to that number in a defamation suit? Uh, they draw numbers out of a hat, <laughs> Tyler. Uh, no, actually, you know what? Um, what they're really looking at is they'd listen to testimony. They hear from um, they'd hear from Joe West himself. They'd hear from family, friends, everyone that 
dealt with him and interacted with him after these statements were made to see how diff how much he struggled with it and and that's how these are pro these emotional distress damages are proven up you have to get someone to testify and be your witness to it and you know like i every night he would wake up at 3 a.m like screaming out of like anguish because of this that's testimony that's that's evidence that would go to prove the value here and so in some sense it's arbitrary but they use a lot of um witnesses and, and statements from people around him to help support it absolutely I, boy I, I, I now have a vision of joe west screaming paul deluca in the middle of the <laughs> <laughs> well that's where i, I mean, went so i mean i i it, that's a god that'd be really weird if, if that happened um well they are sam and ash follow them on twitter at sam and ash law uh, best in the business because you deserve what's right. 702-820-1234. If you need a personal injury attorney, there's no one better. Uh, we appreciate you guys. This was awesome stuff today. Good stories. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Love you guys. guys. Take care. Take care of yourself. We'll See talk ya. to you soon. Sam and Ash at Sam and Ash Law. 702-820-1234. Call them now. Jeez, mm -hmm. uh, Joey West screaming in the middle of the night. What a what a what a vision. My <laughs> and goodness. being mad at. At Paul LaDuca. At Paul DeLuca. I mean, <laughs> that's God, awesome. why would Joe West get into the Hall of Fame? Like, longevity? Yeah. Question. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, last night, like, this is, we talked about this before, real quick before we go to break on these umpires. I'm watching the Dodger game. Hershiser is the analyst for Dodger games. The umpire behind the plate, I forget his name, Brutal. It's like 28 years. You know they've been around when Hershiser's like, yeah, that guy called my games. Like, Hershiser hasn't pitched in like 20. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, he called my games. They keep these guys around too long. We can say it over and over and over again. It's the safest, best job in the world is to be an umpire in the Major League Baseball. You will never lose your job. And ever. you don't have to be good at it. No. No, you'd like, be totally terrible. The only thing notable that Joe West has ever done that I would say is a positive is that he was the first umpire to market his own umpire brand, like Joe West <laughs> brand umpire chest guards. Yeah, or like umpire school by Joe West. Yeah, that's the he's the first guy to do that. And in my mind, I'm like, that's smart. Everything else about you, kind of horrible. All right. You're going to have a chance to win some Kane Brown tickets in just a few minutes. But coming up next... It's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the equal rights amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. Oh, Bischoff's Briefs. What a great segment. Today, we are jumping back into Robin Leonard versus Mark andre Fleury. We've done Bischoff's Briefs quite a few times comparing the two as goalies. But what's become an interesting trend is not how the two are playing, but rather how their teammates are playing in front of them. So since Robin Leonard returned, Marc-Andre Fleury has made seven starts, and Robin Leonard has made seven starts. In Fleury's seven starts, the Golden Knights have scored ten goals. In Leonard's seven starts, the Golden Knights have scored 32 
we are talking about a difference in one and a half goals per game and four and a half goals per game. Three goal difference per game for the Golden Knights when Leonard is in net versus when Flurry is in net over the last 14 games. Now, the goals part is certainly interesting, but what I'm actually more curious about is the way they're playing defense in front of the two of them. Because since they've come back, Leonard has been the better goalie by save percentage goals saved above average. Uh, but at 5-on-5, five five, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has seen a few more high-danger chances. He has seen two more high-danger chances at 5-on-5 five five than Robin Leonard. Uh, and Leonard has played 20 more minutes, so Fleury has seen a higher rate of high-danger chances as well. They have been better in front of Robin Leonard, not just scoring goals, but also preventing shots and preventing good chances than they have against Flurry, though it's not as drastic as the goal scored. But we also have the penalty kill. And if you remember, early in the year, Marc-Andre Flurry was unbelievable on the penalty kill. He was like best best goalie in hockey on the penalty kill. He was a big reason. What is that? What was that? Why why was a banjo playing? Who played a banjo? <laughs> This is why Ed mutes himself during Bischoff's briefs. <laughs> he normally throws on a couple songs, listens to them, and then comes back and goes, yeah, I can see what you're saying. No, I've got you. I've got you. So on the penalty <laughs> what kill. That? What the hell was that? <laughs> you guys are both acting like it wasn't one of you. It wasn't well, you, me. You, you thought for months after you thought for months after that Maya comment, it was still me chuckling, and and that wasn't the case. So maybe this wasn't us at all. Oh, it wasn't me. I'm not playing a banjo <laughs> while I'm trying to give you Bischoff's briefs. <laughs> That's certainly not happening. Neither ahead, neither one it. of you. Ne- wait, neither one of you is going to own up to to playing the banjo there. How would have I played it? I don't. I don't know what's going on. You're in control of everything. I'm at my house, Jared. <laughs> Okay, I know for a fact it was Ed, but I don't know how to prove it. All I can say... <laughs> Where's Sam and Ash when you need them? All I can say is that while it was going on, his, the levels on him were going up and down. All right, that's enough proof for me, even though you should never believe Jared's uh, <laughs> testimony. All right, on the penalty kill, the last 14 games, Flurry's save percentage is 8.75. Leonard's save percentage is 9-9. Flurry has seen two more high danger chances in the penalty kill the last 14 games, but it's only two more, and he's played more uh, penalty kill minutes. So it hasn't been a big difference there. The interesting part is the slippage and save percentage. Leonard's at 9-9, and Flurry's at 8-7-5, because part of what made Flurry so great in the first 20 games was that he was unbeatable on the penalty kill. And in the last seven starts for Flurry... He's been very beatable on the penalty kill. He's slipped down to being an average penalty killing goalie as opposed to being the best in the league. So the Golden Knights over the last 14 games have absolutely played better with Robin Leonard in net. They're scoring more goals. They're allowing a few less chances, not a significant amount, but a few less chances when Leonard's in net. But I think the bigger story here is that Robin Leonard has been a better goal. Robin Leonard's save percentage, goal saved above average, has been better. Even when you don't pay attention to what the players in front of them have been doing, even if you throw out all the goals they've scored, Leonard's been better. Flurry hasn't been bad, but Leonard's been at a much higher level over the last 14 games of the season. We still have games left to play in this season. This is certainly not the time where Pete DeBoer has to make a decision. 
but we're getting to a point where Pete DeBoer is going to have a really, really tough decision to make on who his goalie is in the playoffs. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, probably not, but who knows, because we've got to consider all angles here and who he would choose. Is there any percentage in your mind, even if it's just 1%, that when you're making this decision, you base it somewhat on how the team's playing with him and goal, or is that unfair to Flurry? Well, okay, if this trend continues the I'm rest continues of the season, the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah. Then, then absolutely. Like, and, and you would hope a coach would have a better explanation than we do because we're kind of just sitting back saying, well, that's random as hell. Right. But like, right. if they, listen, if they finish out the year and we're looking back and we're like, all right, the last 12 Leonard starts against the last 12 Flurry starts, you know, it's, it's four goals a game to one and a half goals a game then I, I, you absolutely do. I mean, I and he, we won't have really a good reason for it, but yeah, if the team's scoring four goals a game with Leonard back there for some reason and not for Flurry, I don't know at what point that becomes like statistically relevant because even 12 games, 13 games each is still a pretty small sample size. But I mean, yeah, I, why wouldn't you? Especially, especially if the decision between the two goalies is close. Like, especially if you're sitting there saying, well... They've both been good. I don't know how much of a difference there is. But when one plays, we score four goals a game. And when the other one plays, we only score one. If it's close, then yeah, I'd let that be the deciding factor. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on it. It's just a weird way to say it because obviously, I don't, look, I don't, you're in, I hate to even say it, but there seems to be an insinuation they just play different for a guy. But that's completely unfair to matchups, who's on the ice, given night. It's just I'd love to know. I don't think he'd use – put it this way. I don't think, like you just said, Tyler, I don't think DeBoer would ever use that as a reason. I'm just wondering if you think it might be part of the reason. Because if you say that, well, we score more with him, you're kind of insinuating they play different for the one guy, right? So I don't even know if you'd put that out there. Yeah, yeah. If you're Pete DeBoer, I don't know that you would say that either. Um, no, I mean, why has, would you? Has, has anyone asked Pete DeBoer about it? I know someone asked Flurry about the goal support he has not gotten recently. But has anybody asked uh, DeBoer about uh, his thoughts on uh, why they're scoring more? I can't remember. No, on most Zooms I'm playing a banjo. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, I actually think didn't Flurry as much as Flurry ever would or could kind of make a snarky remark. Uh, I he mean, made he's always going to be the ultimate his... teammate. Yeah, but... he made it. I think he made a sarcastic yeah. joke about it at yeah. one point. But I, I'd Which... be, I would be curious what Pete DeBoer would say because I, I think the, I mean, listen, I think the right answer is, is it's kind of random, small sample size at the moment, right? Like it, it, seven games each is is kind of a lot, but it's. I think at the end of the day, you're still talking about a small sample size, and it's kind of random because it's the sport of hockey. But I would be curious if we got to the end of the season and this continued, what Pete DeBoer would say about it as to why it's happening, or if you just continue to say, well, it's it's just bizarre, it's random, we haven't we haven't shot well or something like that, and it has nothing to do with the goalie. Because I still I still believe it has nothing to do with the goalie. But no, if no. it keeps ha- if it keeps happening, uh, I guess at some point you look I, at it and say maybe there's a difference, maybe there's a, just... a significant change. I do think, though, we've asked all the writers and the media we have on who covers the team, we can ask Millsy tomorrow. I'm not saying it's a complete rotation. I just think, unlike most years, if a guy falters fast, the other guy's going in. Like in most years, like, oh, you want him that he's your number one goalie. He's got to get a rhythm. We're going to live and die with this guy. 
I think it could be quick. I mean, let's say they play Minnesota in the first round. And it's let's just say it's flurry, and it's 5-1. I think you're seeing Leonard the next night. Like, in the past, it's like, all right, he's our number one guy. We're going to go with it. He had a bad game where this might be, hey, you know, we can switch up every game if it means, like, we think we're going to win. Yeah, especially if they both play well to end the season. Like, if yeah, they're both exactly. playing pretty well to end the season. And it's and, and I don't think Pete DeBoer will say these words again. But if it's, hey, we have two number one goalies, like he kept saying last year, then absolutely. If you start one of them and he gets shelled, there's no necessary reason to bring him back. Like, you have, you legitimately have two number one goalies. Go to the other one. Yeah. Who's the other number one guy if that guy just got shelled? So... I, I think you're right that it could be, and and I'd be curious to see how DeBoer handles it in game because we saw when he was in San Jose and he didn't have good goaltending, he would pull Martin Jones like there was no doubt about it. Martin Jones would give up three in the first, and Martin Jones would be out of there. I'd be curious to see because he hasn't he hasn't had to do a lot of it because his goaltending's been no. good, but he hasn't pulled goalies. I think Flurry's been pulled what once this season. So he, he hasn't pulled, pulled goalies. Yeah, he hasn't pulled goalies since he's been here. So I'd be curious to see. Whoever starts game one, they give up three goals on the first six shots of the game. Are you pulling them right then? Or are you saying, hey, let them work through it because we trust that they're both good? I, I, I'm i curious because I think you do. I think if you give up three goals on the first six shots, you pull that guy because your backup's good. Yeah. That's it. I mean, look, it's when hasn't this been since Leonard got here, the number one story in this team, and it continues to be, and it will continue to be. If they, if they play out the Lex 15 or whatever, how they have – this will be story one, two, and three, right, in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. There's nothing like this with this team since they got Leonard, and it just becomes exasperated more and more because they're both good, like you said. If if this right. was Flurry of last year, we wouldn't be talking about this. We, we know who the no. number one guy was. No. And I mean, the, the only thing that sort of kept it a little quieter is that they're in, they're in the playoffs. Like, the regular right, season right. isn't ultimately that important and they've both played well so it's not like you can't really look and say they've been losing games because they're splitting the goaltending rotation but when we get to the playoffs when Pete DeBoer decides who his game one starting goalie in the playoffs that's when this blows up in terms of how could he pick that guy because there there are so many fans that love Marc-Andre Fleury think he should be the starting goalie no matter what and there are so many fans that say, hey, we think Robin Leonard's better. He's been better for the last two seasons or so. Robin Leonard should be the goalie. And it is like, it's fascinating how much the fan base actually is divided on this. And half the fan base is going to be upset no matter what Pete DeBoer does in game one. Will Alan Walsh, like with Caleb Grill, play the part of a UNLV fan and DM Pete DeBoer if his guy doesn't get it? <laughs> Will there be like Alan Walsh DMs to Pete DeBoer, like calling him out, going crazy? That would be I just. We need to get the graphic designer that Alan Walsh hired to make that uh, image last year. Get him on the show and find out what Alan Walsh has him designing just oh, in case for this year. Great. Yes. Man, Alan, even though oh. I'm blocked, I'll, I'll find a way to see him. Alan Walsh tweets when Fleury is on the bench in a playoff game oh. are going to be spectacular. Alan Walsh can't wait. really needs to think about his legacy. His legacy <laughs> is important. All right, here's your chance to win some Kane Brown tickets. We have a pair of tickets to see Kane Brown, blessed and free tour at T-Mobile Arena, February 4th of 2022. We'll give those tickets away right now. Phone number is 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100. We will take caller number six if you want to check out Kane Brown at T-Mobile Arena, 
next February. Instead, he lifts it to deep left field. Back, it goes, and it is gone! <laughs> the superstar start continues for Akil Badu. It is amazing what this young kid is doing right in front of our eyes. Goes the other way, pounds it pretty well, and it's gone! Up into the third row, and Omar Mazzara goes oppo! A two-run shot to get the Tigers the lead. The 0-2 to Ramos. Swinging a fly ball, right field, deep, got a chance, gone! <laughs> Just carried the wall. Uh, Over the outstretched glove of Kyle Tucker, the fifth home run for Ramos, the third two-run home run for the Tigers in the last two innings. And the Tigers take a 7-1 lead in the fifth. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Tigers are the greatest team in the history of baseball. Um, congratulations. Your team, st- your team stinks right now. <laughs> they are terrible. They are getting destroyed by the Detroit Tigers. I don't know what's happening. Players I've never heard of keep hitting home runs. It's brutal. Uh, congratulations to David. He won two tickets to see Kane Brown, the blessed and free tour in February of 2022. Uh, tomorrow. So tickets are going to go on sale to the public at canebrownmusic.com on Friday. But tomorrow, you can get tickets early with the password WORSHIPU, all one word, all capitalized, at canebrownmusic.com. 10 a.m. tomorrow, use that password WORSHIPU, and you'll be able to buy tickets early if you want to go see Kane Brown in February of next year at T-Mobile Arena. Um, So I wanted to end the show talking about Las Vegas being 100% open. Starting June 1st, uh, Steve Sisolak announced that yesterday. It means that uh, Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier will be able to fight in front of a full crowd at T-Mobile Arena. It means uh, the Raiders, UNLV football, and all of the sports teams here will be able to have full crowds for their seasons in the fall. It also means the Golden Knights, if they are playing into June, would be able to have a full crowd in the playoffs. And it means, Ed, you going to a Garth Brooks concert? I am. Uh, Same same night as McGregor Poirier We are headed down there Sold out 60,000 plus Really looking forward to that Uh, I assume the mask mandate Has not been lifted right So I don't know when that's going to be lifted Um, It is not I assume July 10th the mask mandate Will probably still be Especially for that big a crowd at Allegiant Stadium Um, Yeah fire it up Like I said I'm pretty sure I found my tickets the other day in my email, and they've only taken a thousand dollars. They've only taken a thousand dollars of taxes out at this point. So yeah, it, we'll we'll go to Garth Brooks. It'll end up costing me like twenty five hundred dollars for one night, but yeah, it'll be well worth it. How how long have you had these tickets? Oh, well, it's been postponed like three times. I don't even remember when I bought these things. I mean, it's it's been harder to it's been harder to find them than it was to give away that much money. Believe me, it's been harder to actually find these tickets. I don't know where they, they are. This was this was supposed to be the first ever event at Allegiant Stadium, right? Yes, yeah, he was okay, supposed to yeah. open it up. Yeah, yeah, okay. This is it's it's phenomenal that you've been holding on to these tickets <laughs> yes, for. Yes. I mean, the concert was supposed to be like a year ago, but I whatever you bought them I, might have been oh, a year in advance or something. I like bought them at least, man. It, well, it was definitely months before, right? I mean, I bought them right when they went on sale, and it's I like I said, I found them in an email the other day. I think it might have said they sent them to my phone, and you know that wallet in your iPhone? Uh-huh. It appears they are in my wallet. I just don't know how to call them up. I'm looking right now. <laughs> there it is. Uh, 
My Southwest, I have Southwest tickets, and I have Garth Brooks. So hopefully, uh, I can call those up when we get to the stadium. So Ed will finally get to use his Garth Brooks tickets. <laughs> yes, um, yes. I look forward to your phone dying or something, and you oh. not being able to get in. Yeah, and it's like 140 degrees, and we had to walk nine miles to get to the stadium. That'll be uh, phenomenal. Can't wait for that. But. We will have sports with fans. I mean, I guess each team could make their own decision not to have a full crowd or whatever, but it sounds like, and it could start with the Golden Knights in in playoffs in June or the Aces and the Lights in the summer. Like, we're going to have full crowds at sporting events, and when we get to football season, Allegiant Stadium will be full, and Mark Davis can finally watch his own team play in his own Uh, stadium. Can you imagine Bill, (laughs) Bill Foley ever being given the now Bill we can have a full full team mobile arena or not the 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 amount of time it take to say full arena at that place uh, yeah, we're we're going full arena do you think bill foley fires the guy that asks him if he wants a full arena yes yes like, he is, he is you, like, you should just assume you want a full arena no, don't waste my time on. asking me he that question he follows them yeah or he has to just walk around wearing one of those gold helmets all his life